Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Rosemarie Crawford. Rosemarie is a licensed veterinary technician who has worked in animal welfare for more than 15 years. As a medical staff member in a high-volume open admission shelter in Illinois, Rosemarie worked closely with the shelter veterinarian to provide for the animal's medical and surgical needs. She assisted in developing and implementing progressive, proactive protocols for the care and treatment of kittens in the shelter's kitten nursery room, as well as for those in foster care. Additionally, Rosemary served in two shelters as the foster coordinator and understands the challenges and rewards of creating, expanding, and maintaining a foster program. After moving to Virginia, Rosemary began volunteering with local shelters and rescues, fostering the most at-risk kittens, neonatal bottle babies, and those who were sick or injured. It was during this time that she met Susan Spaulding, a.k.a. Kitten Mom, and together in 2008, Rosemarie and Susan founded Feline Outreach Rescue and Education, which after expanding their reach across the U.S. and into other countries as well, was renamed in 2015 to the National Kitten Coalition. As Director of Educational Programs for the National Kitten Coalition, Rosemarie frequently travels across the country presenting workshops and speaking at conferences on a wide variety of kitten topics with the goal of helping shelters and rescues increase survival rates of rescued kittens. Previously, Rosemary also served as an emergency responder for several national organizations providing rescue, shelter, veterinary care, and transport for animals affected by disaster. And she taught workshops in the U.S. and Canada for HSUS and the Humane Society University on emergency animal sheltering, disaster animal response, and animal first aid. Prior to focusing her efforts on animal welfare, Rosemarie taught high school and college English for 10 years. While she spends the majority of her time developing programs and presenting workshops for the National Kitten Coalition, she still manages to balance that with working part-time at a large veterinary practice, fostering sick or injured kittens, and enjoying downtime with her husband and four cats. Rosemarie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stacey. It's great to be here. Sounds like you've been involved with animals 20 plus years. So how did you first get interested in in helping animals and uh, helping kittens? Probably like many of your guests and listeners, I've always loved animals and somehow strays and injured animals seem to find their way across my path. So I seemed like I was always rescuing someone. But it really started for me truly about 15 years ago when I started working or volunteering actually at a local animal shelter. And I was volunteering in the nursery room, which at that time, 15 years ago, was pretty progressive to have an actual nursery room. And in that room were kittens four to eight weeks old or maybe even a little bit older, who were eating on their own but not ready for adoption yet, or maybe they had an illness that they couldn't be adopted out yet, and the bottle babies all went to foster. So I was volunteering in that room, weighing the kittens every day and making sure they were growing. And during one of my shifts, 
some bottle babies came in, and the foster coordinator came to me and said, hey, you want, you want to take these bottle babies? And so I had, I had once, when I was very much younger, as a young girl, took some bottle babies and, and helped care for them temporarily. So I thought, sure, how hard can this be? So I went home with four kittens, two bottles, and a container of KMR, and off I went. Unfortunately, within about 12 hours, those kittens became very sick and they were showing signs of panleukopenia. So I had to bring them back to the shelter and I thought they were going to be euthanized. Anyone who's fostered knows that you get very attached to the kittens very quickly. And so, of course, I was attached and there I was crying and asking the veterinarian, isn't there something we can do for these kittens? So she kind of reluctantly agreed and she showed me how to do injectable antibiotics and subcute fluids and how to force feed them and I went home and I did exactly what she told me to do and by the grace of God they lived and didn't even have neurological symptoms afterwards. That was a real exciting time for me and then the shelter started giving me more and more foster kittens who were sick and I seemed to have a knack for it I guess and when a position opened up at that shelter on the medical staff they kind of did a wink wink nudge nudge why don't you apply <laughs> so so I did and it was great. I was as you mentioned in the intro, I had been teaching. I was teaching college part-time, and so I was the shelter part-time and at the college part-time. And then the next semester, I loved, loved, loved the shelter stuff so much that next semester I decided to work there full-time and trailed off with the teaching aspect at the university. It was actually community college. They speed passed you right into the advanced foster course right there with that first litter of kittens. Right. Yeah, I didn't know what I was in for, but uh, and I often wonder today if those kittens hadn't survived, would I be here right now doing what I'm doing? I would hope that I would foster again, and we tell other fosters too, you know, sometimes bad things happen to kittens and sometimes we can't save them all, but we hope that they will continue to foster because there's another litter of kittens that also needs a chance to survive, and if we decide not to foster anymore just because of a bad experience, then no one else gets help, so... I would hope I would have fostered again. You're part of a large organization. In my mind, it sounds like there are many, many of you involved with the National Kitten Coalition. And we've had several guests on the show. So just to, to remind folks that we had Marnie Russ was way, way back at episode number eight. And you can find that on the communitycatspodcast.com uh, website page, along with Rebecca, who was episode 176. And then Laura was also on at 165. So you are now the fourth representative from the National Kitten Coalition. Would you be able to share with us the, the role that you play for the coalition? Right now, I'm serving as the director of educational programs. So my main focus is developing educational programs and reaching out to shelters and rescues across the country to offer them assistance with what they're doing and to bring workshops and other educational materials to them in order to help their staff and their fosters increase survival rates of rescued kittens. Previously, Susan Spaulding and I had founded the organization, again, as Feline Outreach, Rescue, and Education. And as we grew, we got more people on. That's when Marnie came on board with us around 2014, and she was very instrumental in saying, you know, we really need a, a catchier name than Feline Outreach, Rescue, and Education. And we agreed. So between the three of us, we put our heads together, and, and we came up with um, what is now the National Kitten Coalition in 2015. Does your organization have specific goals in terms of 
the number of organizations that you reach out to or maybe also share with us, you know, what do you do when you consult with other organizations across the country? Well, again, we are just an educational organization, so we don't take in animals or adopt out, but we really want to help other shelters and rescues and individuals increase survival rates of rescued kittens. So we mostly are, have been doing that through workshops, and we take our workshops anywhere across the country, and we tailor them to the specific needs of that shelter or rescue. If they want to learn about bottle babies, we can teach you know, specifically about bottle babies. And if others want to learn about illnesses or ringworm or foster programs, again, we tailor it to whatever they need. And we also will this summer be launching our webinar series, so hopefully people will go to kittencoalition.org and check that out. Um, you can sign up for email. We'll let you know when that's starting. And we're going to have all kinds of topics, anything related to kitten care, basically, in our webinars and in our workshops. And, of course, we also go to conferences across the country as speakers and present on a variety of topics as well. What do you think are the greatest challenges for organizations that may not have a foster care program or a kitten nursery? I mean, what are their greatest obstacles? A lot of them. Basically, it comes down to resources. We're only able to save the kittens that we have resources to save. And that's not just financial resources. That's also space. That's personnel. That's training. Um, and getting those items in place will help the shelters and rescues be able to start saving kittens. Almost all the foster programs at shelters across the nation that we've talked with they start with one or two people who really care and they want to start saving kittens. And a lot of times it's the staff that is ending up taking home one or two kittens. And from that, the shelter starts a foster program. So getting the community involved is also one of those obstacles that we can overcome. A lot of communities aren't even aware one, where their shelter is at, or two, the programs that the shelter has, or the needs that the shelter has. And if the community can be made aware that there is this need for animals and additional help from the community, be it resources of time or supplies or money, then we can start helping more kittens that way. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote Community Cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love Community Cats? You can help with emailing groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of Community Cat swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. As a former foster care coordinator, what sort of advice would you give an up-and-coming foster care coordinator? 
So be patient, be organized, reach out to your fosters, be very transparent in expectations of what you need to expect from them as fosters and also what they can expect from you as a foster coordinator. One of the biggest reasons fosters leave is because they don't have the support of the foster coordinator or the staff at the shelter. They don't know what to expect when they're taking animals. So be very, very clear on expectations, on protocols, and be there for those fosters to be able to answer those emails quickly or have an emergency phone number, especially for the younger fosters or the newer fosters, that will really make a difference. One of the things that I saw a lot back 20 years ago was, and even more recent than that, many adoption counselors you would hire, an adoption counselor for your your shelter. And then as a PS, you would say, oh, yes, and then you would also be the foster care coordinator (laughs) without the understanding that those are really two separate programs and and one person cannot do both things. I would assume you would agree with that statement? Absolutely. And yes, in shelter life, we wear many hats because there is so much need and we all want to help animals and do as many things as we can to help them. But it really, a foster coordinator position really is something that is a full-time position that really needs the dedication of a person to manage that program. There's recruiting that has to happen all the time because even if fosters are enjoying the program and everything is going great, People move, people have job changes, and so there always is some amount of attrition. So we always need to recruit and then, of course, manage the people who we do have and keep them happy and hopefully be able to expand so that all of the animals that do need foster care actually will have a place to go. There's also vacations, too, that used to drive us crazy in the Mm -hmm. summertime where Fourth of July was the worst weekend out there for us because everybody would want to go away and say, oh, can I just find somebody to take my foster kittens for the weekend while we go away? And it's like, well, everybody's going away, or they're already full. So that was always a great challenge over the summertime, was trying to find out who was around over the holiday weekends and and how to handle those foster kittens that needed a place to go. One other thing that we did that I thought was smart from trying to prevent burnout, because I would assume quite a few foster homes as well as foster care coordinators can get burned out in the summertime is we had an emergency number, but it was attached to a phone. So the phone would move around amongst different people. So we would have different people on call. So it wasn't one foster care coordinator on call seven days a week. That's an excellent thing to be able to do. So I can tell you having that phone, it's 24 hours of stress. You never know when that might ring. And being able to switch off weekends or even weeks or knowing that somebody else can man that phone for some period of time is a huge help. Have you had to deal with burnout from foster care providers as well as foster care coordinators? Yes, there definitely is a level of burnout especially the more you want to do. And sometimes it just seems like the kittens or or other animals just never stop coming. So it is nice to have some time off. I think it's really important too for foster coordinators to realize 
for their fosters when someone needs a break. Because sometimes fosters won't say, you know, no, I really need a break between kittens now. And if the foster coordinator can realize that and give those people a break in the long run, you may be able to keep them as fosters longer. And also having an assistant, sometimes it's a volunteer assistant that um, can help you out with some of the the basic day-to-day stuff or answer some emails really also helps so that you can focus on other areas of the program that need to be done. In some cases, many smaller organizations work with multiple veterinarians. We oftentimes get different opinions about how to treat for any different condition that might be out there. We get different thoughts, different ideas. Does the organization develop their own set of standards and treatment protocols, or how do you negotiate what one veterinarian is recommending versus another? That's a a little bit of a sticky point, but it really does come down to the organization and its administration to figure out what its protocols should be. And I think it's really helpful for people to have honest discussions about that, bring in as much information from as many reputable resources as possible, and talk with the various veterinarians that are also providing care for the animals, and come up with a protocol that can be put in black and white. Now, granted, each animal is different and each illness could be slightly different and how it's working its way through that animal, but having those protocols in place as a starting ground is really helpful for the whole staff to know this is what we need to do for this animal and for fosters to make sure that they're following the protocols for the shelter. There are really good resources now available. UC Davis Shelter Medicine Program has a lot of really good protocols already in place. So if shelters are kind of looking for a place to start, that's one place that they can look at some good ideas. So if folks are interested in finding out more about the National Kitten Coalition and finding out about your manual, which we really haven't talked about much, and so maybe you can touch upon what that is, how would they reach out to you? People can find us at our website at kittencoalition.org, and at that place there's also areas where you can sign up for our emails, and we're also on Facebook. We did recently publish a nursery manual on launching and operating a successful nursery manual, and we basically went to five of the major nurseries across the country, including ASPCA, Austin Pets Alive, Best Friends in L.A., San Diego Humane, and Jacksonville Humane, and the staff there was wonderfully generous with their time and their information. We spent several days at each location talking with the staff and the volunteers and seeing their facility and looking at their protocols and their facility usage of space and budgets and everything. And we pulled all of that information together into this nursery manual so that other organizations who might be considering doing a nursery don't have to go through all of that research. They can go to our website. They can download this manual for free. We can also provide them with a printed copy if they want, and they can contact us at info at kittencoalition.org, and we can get that sent out. There's a lot of good information in there, even if people aren't planning on starting a nursery or currently have a nursery. There's kitten care information and protocols on sanitation and feeding and intake. So a lot of the information in the nursery manual is applicable to shelters and fostering programs. Rosemary, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I'm just thrilled to be here. We've been where many of your listeners are, and we have 
a lot of shelter experience. Our leadership team has more than 50 years' experience with sheltering and rescue and various aspects of the sheltering environment. So we understand and appreciate the challenges that people go through in trying to save more animals. And we want to partner with you in helping increase survival rates of rescue kittens. So I hope you'll visit our website and learn a little bit more about us and contact us with questions you have. That's great. And I think in our listening modules on the Community Cats podcast website, we have a kitten section. And so Rosemary's podcast will be there along with Marnie's, Rebecca's, and Laura's. And those are episode 8, 176, and 165. And Rosemary's today's show is 185. Folks, we're getting close to 200 episodes, if you can believe it, in just a year's time. So thank you all for listening to the show. And Rosemary, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thank you, Stacey. It's truly been a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats.